as we approach this new year, one of the things uh, I found interesting was I found out that in San Francisco, there was a tower that was built called the Millennium Tower. And I, I provided a picture for you here this morning. The Millennium Tower itself is a luxurious residential tower built in 2008. It's amazing. It's beautiful. The space and the view of it is absolutely amazing. Stunning. Stunning views. Uh, what was actually built as one of the top places in the world to live residentially. And so it is shown to be quite an amazing place to call home. There's just one thing about this beautiful place that I must show you. And here's the third pic I want to show you here. There is a crack right outside of the building of this Millennium Tower built in San Francisco. This Millennium Tower, in fact, is, is, is so, there's so much controversy after they built this because, and I'll tell you why. Through the inspection of the city, it showed that there is a kink in the foundation plans. Instead of building the building on the bedrock, building digging deep and laying the foundation on a bedrock, they laid it on very strong padded, get this, sand. So they padded the sand so that they won't have to dig so deep. They laid it literally on strongly padded sand. The inspectors have come in and they said it's safe to live in the building. It's safe. But it has sunk 17 inches since it was built. And tilted 14 inches. Now, in, us, in our view, that's not a big deal, right? Oh, it's not a big deal. When you're that tall and you're that big, how many know it's a bigger deal? I know about being tall. It's a big deal. You did not need to laugh so hard. That was rude. 17 inches, it's sunk 17 inches. It's tilted 14 inches. And now there's cracks being formed outside. And yet, the people coming in are saying, it's perfectly safe to live here. The homes have tumbled $320,000 cheaper. They have tumbled and tumbled on average, one disgruntled resident told producers that with uh, with so many lawyers involved, it takes about 30 minutes just for the uh, attendance to be taken at legal proceedings. That's how many lawyers they have trying to figure out what to do here. Some say that the, uh, you know, with instead of anchoring it on the bedrock, you know, people are upset. They packed it under 80 feet, only 80 feet. Instead of going 200 feet down into bedrock. In Matthew it tells us, anyone who listens to my teachings and follows it is wise like a person who builds a house on what? Solid rock. Watch this. Matthew 7 goes on to say this. Though the rain comes in torrents and the floodwaters rise and the winds beat against the house, it won't collapse because it's built on bedrock. But anyone who hears my teaching and does not obey it is foolish. Like a person who builds a house on sand, when it rains and floods come and the winds beat against the house, it will collapse with a mighty crash. What a visual here this morning we have. There's nothing unclear about what Jesus forecasts here. Nothing unclear. 
He's very clear that he says, when you believe in me, you're believing in a bedrock. You're believing on something firm. You're believing on something strong. You're believing on something that's worth standing on. But when you, when you put your trust and hope in the world, you put your hope and trust on sinking sand. There was a song written about that some years ago. Right? Truth be told, there are a lot of things that Christians do that can be explained, but we believe in something bigger, something greater, something like heaven. And for some, that's where the problem is. That's where the problem lies. This morning, I want to bring a message entitled, So That All May Hear. We have a visual here of Lewisburg, Milton, the whole uh, kind of this area here. And, And we realize that this visual is a visual for all of us as a church to understand that we are to be a light to our community, our family, our, the, the places that we find ourselves. We are to be a light so that all may hear. The God that we serve is not causing us to live for the here and now. How many know that we have a place that's beyond this visible world? A place beyond this visual world? A place beyond this tangible world this world wants to grab things and hold on to it and say this is mine i want this i want that this is for me and so if you live that way sooner or later you'll want the next thing and the next thing and the next thing but when you live for jesus we realize that we don't live for this world we live for the next and if you would allow me for a few moments this morning we believe in a place that you that you can't see feel touch and tangibly hold on to right here, right now. Closest thing we got to that is this right here, God's word. But if we look at Hebrews for a moment, can you turn with me to Hebrews? Hebrews chapter 11 is a fantastic passage of scripture. Hebrews chapter 11 is a fantastic passage that reads to us something amazing here. If you study Hebrews chapter 11, you quickly see what appears to be the writer of Hebrews bringing to the front to everybody this truth. Watch this. Everyone has a choice to walk away. Did you know that? Everyone in this room has a choice to walk away from Jesus. You have a choice. You have a choice to follow him. You have a choice to to reject him. You have a choice to say no. Everyone. And the Bible's very clear here in Hebrews where it says this. All these people, chapter 11, verse 13. All these people were still living by faith when they died. They did not receive the things promised. He just listed out a bunch of people. They died without seeing their promise. How many want to see God's promise happen in your life, in your family, right? We live for that, right? We live for God. We live for you. We live for the promises that you have for us. That's not bad. But, but the writer of Hebrews tells us very specifically, they did not receive the things promised. They only saw them and welcomed them from a distance, admitting that they were foreigners on a strange earth and strangers on this earth. A strange earth is probably accurate too, right? People who say... Such things show that they're looking for a country of their own. If they had been thinking of the country they had left, they would have had opportunity to return. In other words, here's what he's saying. He's saying this. These people didn't live for them this here and now. These people didn't live for the right here, right now. They live for the country that is not their own right now. It's, it's, it's onward, 
Christian soldier, right? It's, it's on the beyond. And so he goes on to say this. Instead, they're longing for a better country, a heavenly one. Therefore, God is not ashamed to be called their God, for he has prepared a city for them. In other words, he's saying this. The people that live for me are not living for here. And God is okay with that. Because he's telling them, I'm proud to be their God because they're not living for themselves. They're living to, to show my glory on this earth, to help people. How many know it doesn't make any logical sense to put money in a, in a bag or write a check and do all these things to help people you never met? I mean, that's what you're doing. When you're following Jesus, right? And you give to missions. And you, you're writing checks. You're, do, you're giving. You're, you're giving of your time. Whether it's with the children or the youth or the nursery. Or giving of your time in the foyer. And helping people feel welcome here at Freedom. It makes no sense logically. But for the Christian, it makes perfect sense. Because we're not living for this world. We're helping people so that all may hear about the next one. Is that right? That's our heart. That's our desire from day one. Why do we build this church? Why do we start this church? Why did we maneuver so strongly to get this place up and running to see people come to Christ? So that all may hear. I thought I gave one amen on that one. I'm working hard. The writer wants us to consider something. Consider this. Consider that certain people do what they do. They decide to live how they want to live. But we as Christians live radically different than the people of this world. Right? So let's talk for a few moments about the hardships of the Hebrews. Found in Hebrews 10. Turn there real quickly. Turn back one chapter. Hebrews chapter 10. I want you to see it in your Bible. How many know we need to see it sometimes with our own eyes. And not just project it on the screen. Hebrews chapter 10. You'll find a description of the early days of the church. And here's a a description for us. Are you ready? Hardships from Hebrews chapter 10. They reminded, uh, rather, they remained faithful in spite of terrible suffering. Look at verse 32. In verse 33, they were exposed to public ridicule. These are followers of Jesus. Verse 33, they were persecuted. They were helped others who suffered in the same way. In verse 34, they showed sympathy to those who thrown, who those who thrown them in jail. They lost all they had, verse 34. And here's the kicker. They did it with joy. I'm afraid of something that's happened to the church today. I put it all on there so you can see it. Maybe you want to copy it. Maybe you want to take a picture of it. Remind yourself of the things to look forward to. Because the church has been built... As a place where you just come and get joy. The church has been built as a place where you just come and just rejuvenate strength and go out so you can be a joyful person all your life. There's some truth to that. But it's not without hardship. We think that we somehow that joy is because we don't get hardship. Sometimes we have joy because we had hardship. And we watch God bring us through that. So instead of thinking for some reason that you will have joy... And that's why you go to church. How about this? How about I have joy because I've had suffering? But because I went through some stuff, I can really appreciate what is before us. And so, what I think the writer is trying to remind us of something here is that, listen, 
you may call yourself a Christian. But just because you call yourself something doesn't mean it just magically happens. There's a walking out that needs to happen here. And that walking out includes accepting what has come before you with joy. Hey, listen. You will have trouble. You will have pain. You will have, this is not a question. And I told the team as we were before, we, before the service, we prayed. I said, listen, 2017 is on its way out. 2018 is on its way in. And we don't have to pray and wait for trials. They're going to come. Right? They're going to come. Whether we ask for them or not. But our attitude toward those trials is what we really need to pray about. Is that helping somebody? See, that's the hard part. That's the hard part. It's our attitude because we can, we can change that. We would like to stay stuck in the idea that something happened to us so we can complain about it. That's human nature. Is that right? How many have ever been there before? I've thrown a pity party. Right? I want to be stuck in that pity party because I have no control over that so I can complain about it. So, freebie, right? If I don't have any control over it, I can complain about it with ease. And with comfort and true joy. Not really. Right? But when we're, when we're held responsible, we're like, you know what? I can't control what happens to me, but I can control how I respond to it. Now, all of a sudden, it, it's up to me, and I don't like to hear that. We don't live for this world. We live for the next. I'm always in awe of people who say, I'm not giving up when quitting would be easier. I love hearing from people that say, you know what? I've gone through it. I, man, everything has hit me. Has anyone ever had one of those moments where just everything hits you? Boom. One after another. Boom, 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 boom. And you're going, where did I, when did I get into a boxing ring without gloves? And somebody is dressed up like a ninja and they just keep hitting me and I don't know where they're coming from. Right? <laughs> There's a ninja in life that would just kind of come at you. You don't see it coming. It'll hit you. And then you're like, Where, where'd that come from? And it just barrage. And I find it myself that it's easy to just quit. It's easy to say I'm done. It's easy to say forget it. But that's not what the writer's talking about. The writer says right at the end, and they accepted it with joy. Somewhere. Beyond the first, when he first starts listing these things in verse 32 and at the end, I think at some point he probably thought to himself, the people reading this letter are going to get depressed at some point. So let me be very crystal clear. Suffering, ridicule, just recap, ready? Persecution, more suffering, thrown in jail, throw a little sympathy in there, lost everything you have. But they accepted it with joy. Why? Well, I like how Spurgeon once put it. He preached a sermon one time. And I got a, I got a really nice Bible for Christmas. I was really excited about it. And uh, one of the things that Spurgeon said is that, <laughs> and I think I may be ahead of myself a little bit here, but a, a dog doesn't bark at someone he knows as much as he barks at strangers. And this world doesn't know you or recognize you if you live for Jesus, they'll bark at you. They'll tell you, you're crazy. Why are you giving? Why are you serving? Why are you loving? What are you doing? Right? The world barks at you. You know what that tells you? You're not one of them. Thank God. Because I have a higher hope. Come on, somebody. I have a higher hope. 
I like how the century English version puts it. It says, you endured this because you knew you had something better, something that will last forever. You can endure what's in front of you because you have something to live for. Something that will not be temporary, but something that will last forever. Guess what, friends? You have a hope that will last forever. All this stuff in this world will fade away. It will all burn away. But the word of God will always stay firm. There's something better. There's a good description of our future. We live for something better. Something that will last forever. We do this so that all may hear. We live this life the way God wants us to live. So that all may hear. So that all may hear. You see, the world's offering a lot of options. But none of them really clearly make sense. So when the writer writes in Hebrews 11, go back one chapter again. Forward, I should say. Back to the chapter we started with. Hebrews 11. I'm just kind of putting, painting a picture here because in Hebrews 11, he then points out something interesting. He says this. He says, Abel, why would you offer a better sacrifice and end up getting killed by your brother? Enoch, why would you walk with God and then disappear? These are the questions that people might ask, right? Enoch, if he walked with God, why would he just disappear? Noah, why would you build an ark when everyone except your family thought you were nuts? Why would you do that? Abraham, why would you leave the security of Ur and trek into the unknown? Why would you do that? Why would you do that? That's, the, that's what the world's asking. The world is asking Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, why would you live in tents? You were rich, man. You had a lot going on for you. But you chose to pitch a tent? In an unknown place, in unknown territory for generations? Abraham and Sarah. Why would you dream of having a baby when you're a hundred years old? These are not hypothetical questions. They go to the heart of why we do what we do. Church, we do so that all may hear. We do so that we could follow a king. We do so because we know that there's a heaven beyond us. We don't do it for this world. So how do we explain ourselves? Well, the answer is, it's all about heaven and bringing people with us. It's all about heaven and bringing people with us. So let me, uh, allow me for a few moments to give you three quick tips of what I feel like are a good reason why we do what we do. See, because a subtitle for this message is why we keep believing. Right? So that all may hear. The first thought is this. We live by a different standard. Is that true? As believers, we live by a different standard. Hebrews 11 verse 13. All these people were still living by faith when they died. They didn't receive all the things promised. They only saw them and welcomed them from a distance. They admitted that they were aliens and strangers on earth. What he means is this. All the heroes of the faith live and died without ever fully entering into what God had promised them. Does that mean God doesn't love them? Does that mean God didn't love them? That doesn't necessarily mean that at all. In fact, what a beautiful testimony that I could have turned back, but I didn't. I could have did something else, but I didn't. Even if I'm not entirely sure that I will see the fruit of my labor. How many know that there's things that you're doing right now 
that you may not see the fruit of. Is that true? There are things that you're doing right now for Jesus that you may not see the fruit of. Five years down the line, something may happen. But ten years from now, something may happen. But there's a truth that maybe something you won't see happen. But one day, something will happen. Because guess what? I was a kid one time. And I, myself, was invested in by people. One time. I was a kid one time. And then it went away. But I went to a church that believed in me. When I went to this church, they believed in me. As a teenage boy, they believed in me. And I told them I was going to Bible school. They said, you know what? We want to pour into this man. This young man right here, he has a great goal. You know what? Every year I went back to school. I just visited, I just stopped by my church while I went and visited family in New York. Stopped in and said hi to some people. I walked in and I said, hey, is the pastor here? And I went, and the lady looked at me and she goes, she goes, no, he's not here right now. And I said, uh, my name is Tony. She looked at me and she goes, Tony? And with her island accent, she said, Pasta Tony Cruz? And I said, yeah. And I didn't recognize her really. Okay, it's been a long time since I'm in there. And she goes, Pasta Tony? I said, yeah. I looked at her and I smiled and she goes, Oh my goodness. She goes, I haven't seen you in so many years. And she comes in, she gives me a hug and she's like, how you been? And I just started talking to her about things and she's like, we so love you. When are you going to come back and preach for us? You know what this lady remembered? She remembered Tony. Little Tony. Now I'm just slightly, almost little. But here, Tony. Not too different, not too different. I was this big, and now I'm this big. She said to me, how are you doing? She asked me questions about me, because she remembered. You know why? Because when I was a teenager, they said, we want to make you part of our missions budget. And they gave to me every semester I went to Bible school. They gave me money for books. They gave me thousands of dollars in the four years of my education. They gave me thousands of dollars every year. They were giving me, you know, every semester I went back to school, I went home. I preach when I was home. I go back to school and then I go to, you know, study and then I come back for summer. Sometimes, you know, sometimes I was traveling, ministering and stuff. And, and I would come home, preach for us, you know, and they would, they would, they would see the food. And here years and years later, I walked into a church. There was only three people there when I walked in the other day. They don't, only those three people, only one of them knew me. The other two were like, who's this pastor Tony? I'm saying to myself, only one of the three recognized me. Only one of the three were there. There were people that poured into me. They, they, won't, they won't see that. And can I tell you something? They won't see, but their fruit, the fruit is there. Their seed has grown. And I'm standing here because of that seed. Amen. Why did they give? Because we live by a different standard. We realize that we give even if we won't see. Does that make sense? Number two, we die with a different hope. See, the people of this world, they're trying to get as much as they can, live with as much as they can, and then die happy. I want to die happy. We're in the Christian world, dying 
is the happy part to some degree. You follow? Because we get our reward from that forward. The world says dying is the end. God says dying is the beginning. The second death, that is the physical one, doesn't hurt because the first one was legit. It's the spiritual one. When you die to yourself and you say, I no no longer live for myself, I live for Christ. That physical death doesn't quite sting because the first one, the spiritual one, the one that you died to self and you gave yourself to Jesus, you said, I no longer live in myself. I died to self so that I can live for him. That is the real death for the believer. So this physical death is just a body returning back home. Our soul's already at home. You follow? We die with a different hope. People who say such things show that they're looking for a country of their own. If they had been thinking of the country they had left, they would have had the opportunity to turn. You know what blows me away is people that have a chance to turn around and they don't. That encourages me. There's some of you in this room that you could have turned your back on God. You could have turned your back on the church, but you didn't. You hung in there. You stood in there. And congratulations. One day you'll see the the reward. Christians, we live by a different standard and we die with a different hope. John Wesley, the father of the Methodist movement, used to say, our people die well. Our people die well. See, everybody wants to focus on living well. And there's a lot going on in the churches today that wants to tell you how to live your best right now. Right? And that's good and grand and that's fantastic. God bless you. But how many know that you can't live your best now when you're living for now? Come on, that you want to write that, tweet that, status that somewhere. You can't live your best now when you're living for the right now. Right? When you're living for the right now, you can't live your best. Because John Wesley is saying our people die well means what? It means this, that they have a focus on the future, not on the, the, what's happening right now, not on the present. We die well. As believers, we should die well. Die well. You think to yourself, we long for a better country, a heavenly one, as the verse said there in verse 16. The people of God, we have to understand fully something that this world cannot understand. Are you ready? This world cannot bring you true joy. It can't. That's why we do what we do, so that all may hear. Of the true joy that is coming. So watch this. We're destined to live life to the fullest and bring people to heaven. The only way to live life to the fullest is to give up your life right here. The thing about Christianity is this. Is that if you want a way out, you'll always find one. The thing about Christianity is this. God doesn't trap you in his presence. If you want to walk away, you are free to. If you want an excuse to walk away and quit, you can always find one. It's too hard, it's too busy, it's too much. When God is mixed in with the world and your life, the things of God don't make sense and it tastes weird and you move on. But God is different. People who have quit in their heart will always have an excuse. Don't let quit settle in your heart. Come on, somebody. Is that good preaching right there? Don't let quit settle in your heart. 
Virgin gives us a whole message in one sentence. He said this, Our expectations are our largest possessions. Think about that for a moment. Our expectations are our largest possessions. What does that mean? That means that our expectancy to see God move is what we're holding on to. That hope of what God's going to do. Or what God's going to say. Well done, my good and faithful servant. Or what God's going to do. Enter into the eternity I've prepared for you. The mansion that I've prepared for you. See, we don't have expectations of something more than we just live for this world alone. Spurgeon goes on to say three things about in this message. He said this. Number one, don't expect men of this world to treat you as one of them. Right? Don't expect the world to treat you like one of themselves. Number two. I mentioned it earlier. Dogs don't bark when a man goes by that they know. They bark at strangers. So when somebody has a problem with you. And it's legit. Like you're trying to live for God. And they have a problem with that. Rejoice. Because it just means that you don't belong to this world. Third thing is this. Don't expect to find comforts in this world that your flesh would long for. Your flesh always wants what it wants. If you live by that, you'll die by that. That's why we don't go back. Church, look at me. We don't go back because there's nothing to go back to. That's why we keep our eyes on the prize, our eyes on heaven. And third thought is this. Can you throw that third slide up here? The third thought is simply this. We look for a different reward. We look for a different reward. Church, listen to me. As we head into this new year, we're not looking for last year's reward. We're looking for a reward that God has for us that's deeper than that. Therefore, God is not ashamed to be called their God, for he has prepared a city for them. Hebrews 11 talks about the city. Hebrews 11 verse 10 also talks about Abraham looking for a city with eternal foundations. I found something interesting. I grew up in the city. I grew up amidst 8.5 million people. Which is not like this area at all. The city is so crowded. It's so many things. So many views. So many things. And God continues to refer to heaven as a city. Watch this. Because there are going to be so many different types of people. It's going to be so crowded. And guess what? They're not all going to look like you. They're not all going to sound like you. They're going to be from every tribe, tongue, and nation. Because people from around the world are starting to understand that there is a God in heaven and his name is Jesus. Come on, somebody. There is no other name on the heaven whereby we must be saved. Therefore, God does not, he does not, he's not ashamed when people call him God because they're holding on to something greater. You know what he's saying? I'm proud of you. You hang in there? You hang in there for me? I'm proud of you. You could have quit a long time ago. You, Erica, you could have quit a long time ago. Right? You could have quit. You could have gave up. You could have walked away. There's some things that happened to you. People would have walked away from. There's some things that you've been through. Nobody else in this room has been through. There's some things that you've seen that other people haven't seen. Everyone has a story. You could have walked away, but you didn't. And you know what the writer is saying here? God is proud to call you his own. So hang in there. 
so that other people may be able to hear that same promise, that same joy. And we do what we do because heaven is real. As real as the seat you're sitting on, heaven is real. It's real. And God is looking for people to call his own. And no matter what you've been through in your life, no matter what you've accomplished, no matter what type of reward you've been given, none of them compare to the reward that God would give you. I'm resting my hope in the fact that I cannot, I will not be able to do this myself. So watch this. I'm going to close here in a moment. Are you ready? There are moments when we look in the mirror and we say to ourselves, you ought to be better, a better person by now. There are times that we feel weak and we look in the mirror and we go, man, why didn't you do that? Or why didn't you do that? Why didn't you do this? And we, you ask for forgiveness and then you did it again. There are times that you lost your temper. You said something unkind to a friend. You broke a promise and then covered it up. You exaggerated to make yourself look good. You went on a verbal rampage. You neglected to pray. There was a time where you sinned in secret. You murdered in your mind. You committed adultery in your heart. You were harsh with your children. You broke a vow. Truth is, if you look in the mirror long enough, you're bound to feel bad about something you have done. But know this, God has never looked down and said, I'm so ashamed of you. Be gone from me. He has yet to do that to you today. Why? Because there's always hope in Jesus. Why? Because he, it's all resting on his grace. So let me close with this thought for you for a moment. Can I do that? Let me close with this thought. The idea of grace is simply this. It's either the grace of God that takes us to heaven. Or it's nothing at all. Romans 5.8 tells us a verse that we normally use in evangelism or whatnot for the unsaved. But guess what? It applies to all of us today. But God demonstrated his own love for us. And while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. If you look up at the screen, you see the word still sinners? Still sinners? The word still comes, comes from a tiny Greek word, eti. Eti, E-T-I. That word, when Christ died for us while we were still sinners, while we were eti sinners, applies to us too. In fact, we understand that this word eti is that we were, we were sinners once, but we are still sinful at times. While we were not sinners by title, we are sinners by action. So, let me get your attention for a moment. You can always look at yourself and find everything wrong. But when he looks at you, he sees everything Christ did right. That's the difference. 
we see that when Christ has come into this place and come into our hearts, we realize something very clear. Nothing in this world matters as much as what it means to somebody else. When you come to Christ, when you come to follow him, he doesn't expect you to hold it. He expects you to pass it along. And so we do this so that all may hear. Amen. Understand this today as you bow your heads all across this room. Father, we are, and the only way that we are what we are We are here only because of your goodness, not because of anything that we have earned. Thank you. That 2017, while it has its ups and downs, we're still here. We ain't going nowhere. God, help us to hang in there and fight. Help us to give this gospel try a a strong try. Lord God, we know that when we follow you, all things, all things are made new. And today I'm asking you, make all things new today. In Jesus' name. Father, as we approach this new year, I'm excited. I'm I'm rejuvenated with this idea that in some way, this new year will bring great blessing. This new year will bring fire in our lives. May we be different because of who we look toward yeah there's a lot of things that we can focus on in this world but we don't live for this world we live for the next Lord forgive us for being a generation that is so self-centered sometimes previous generations look toward the future and we've become so self-centered God help us to be more Christ-centered to look for people to know him and to bring them to the saving knowledge of Jesus in one way or another. Help us, O God, in Jesus' name.